live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featured commentary by talk show host Eric Cohn from WIND in Chicago. Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward. Conservative attorney Judith Sherwin and Dan Rowan of the Transport News in Washington, D.C. Our program tonight, our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. We're coming to you from WCGO Studios in beautiful uh, Evanston, Illinois. Let me just uh, go down here for those watching on television. And again, uh, we're... uh, we're on uh, YouTube, we're on uh, Facebook Live, and again, if you want to see the visual version of this program, uh, you can uh, find it there. If you want to just listen to the audio portion, just close your eyes and we'll also be there. Uh, we've got lots to talk about this evening, and uh, I want to start with you, uh, Dan Rowan, in Washington, D.C. You deal uh, with the issue of transportation. You you are, that that's your area of expertise. You also host a weekly show on uh, uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio on the weekends, dealing with transportation and the transportation industry. So I would assume you are uh, as big a supporter of uh, the $2 trillion uh, Biden wish list uh, uh, infrastructure project as possible. Is that true? I don't know that I'd say I'm a supporter, Bruce, because I'm a reporter and I don't really have an opinion on it one way or the other. But as a consumer and as someone who uses the highways and uses the roads and, uh, you know, I don't drive that much right now because of coronavirus and the right. pandemic. But our roads are really in pretty rough shape. Our our, our highways are, are falling apart. Our airports need uh, a lot of work. Uh, and it's not just highways and airports and bridges. I mean, we've got other things that need a lot of work as well. Our water systems are in pretty rough shape. We've got Mm -hmm. other problems. We've got, you know, broadband issues in parts of the country as well. So, you know, we have this wonderful interstate system that uh, was created by President Eisenhower 65, 70 years ago, but we really haven't put the money into it to keep up, you know, with the replacement cost. And if you own a house, you know, every 20 years, you got to replace your roof. Isn't the, I want to I want to ask done that. I want to ask Eric Cohen. Eric, uh, who's our libertarian this evening, Eric, would you agree that uh, if you talk to most people about infrastructure, they would agree with what Dan just said that there's there's roads and bridges, bridges and potholes that everybody deals with on a daily basis, but uh, a big portion of this bill doesn't appear to have, have anything to do with infrastructure. Yes, yeah, so. I think that a lot of people would agree with that. And uh, if you go back to Wednesday's political playbook, there is a very interesting breakdown of this piece of legislation in there, where if you go by the World Economic Forum's definition of infrastructure, what that includes is a country's roads, railroads, ports, air transport, electricity supply, as well as cell phone subscriptions and fixed telephone lines. I'd add broadband internet in there as well. That comes up to about $850 billion of a $2.5 trillion package. So two things. If you look at the name of this actual legislation, it's not named the the great infrastructure bill. It's the American Jobs Plan. So they're selling it under different ways. And you know that it is 
this kind of everything is infrastructure thing, because you see Democrat lawmakers out there tweeting that, you know, caregiving is infrastructure. This radio program is infrastructure. My beard is infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Everything is infrastructure. And when everything's infrastructure, nothing's infrastructure. And it just becomes a wish list, which is exactly what this is at its heart. Judy Sherwin, do you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, You know, it is absolutely true that the infrastructure, the normal infrastructure, the things like highways, bridges, airports, that stuff needs to be fixed. I I just took an 800-mile trip down to Florida and back. Absolutely, we need to do that. But but this this everything is infrastructure. You know, uh, the union cards are infrastructure. The trying to get caregivers to have to join a union is infrastructure. I'm sorry, that's not infrastructure. That's that's the let's remake America bill. And and I'm not even sure that it's even going to be so great for jobs. So, um, yeah, they are trying to sell this in a variety of ways that are not necessarily honest, but that's the way it is. Ray uh, Lopez joins us. He is a member of the Chicago City Council. He's also a Democratic Ward committeeman, but he's a he's a very independent guy, as you will learn if you've not already read about his fame, which has gone from coast to coast. Uh, Ray, uh, when when the federal government explores something like a two trillion dollar infrastructure bill, as someone who's an elected official in a large city, uh, is there any indication as to how much of that will come to Chicago or how much will come to your ward? So people, if they have uh, bridges or roads or potholes in your ward, uh, you'll be able to say to them, this bill's going to pay for it? Or, or does it not get that down to that minutiae? No, I don't think it does necessarily gets down to the specifics. I think more than likely what we'll see is that it'll come in the form of block grants to the states to be parceled out to the local municipalities. You know, if we we're talking about equity, you would think it would be based on population as opposed to the uh Washington politics of who's more powerful and who could pull more of the pork back home. You know, I'm always reminded of the uh, Alaska bridge to nowhere uh, when it comes to some of these projects. Um, But I think that, you know, America is long overdue for investing in itself. You know, we have a, a pension for not building things, for not replacing things of particular need in our country. And, you know, it's about time that we start doing that, but we have to do it in a right and smart way so that as one of uh, our guests said, you know, every when everything is infrastructure, nothing is infrastructure. And I think we'll get sidetracked if we go down that path. Uh, Dan, uh, you spend your time obviously in Washington D.C. Uh, does President Biden really need Republicans on this, or could he uh, jam this uh, down the throat of Congress? I think all he needs is fifty plus one. I mean, the the Senate parliamentarian has uh, pretty much given him a, a free ride and. Uh, the majority leader, Mr. Schumer from New York and others have said that, uh, you know, they see an opening and now that they see an opening, they intend to use it. I, you know, I, I saw one of the Sunday shows today and I think John Thune from South Dakota was on. And he was saying, well, if it's a smaller bill, uh, you know, Biden may get some Republican support. Romney, uh, you know, from uh, Susan Collins from Maine, maybe so. But I don't think things really went well with that when they talked about the COVID relief bill. You know, Biden was talking about, you know, one point nine trillion and the Republicans came in with about six hundred billion. I mean, large sums of money. Don't get me wrong. But I think that they were so far in their, you know, their amount of money. You know, could they cut a deal? Sure. Probably one point six, one point four billion. 
they probably could cut a deal, but then they might lose some on the left who say, well, you gave too much of the store away. Isn't the big problem of this going to be, uh, Judith, how you pay for it? Because this is more for Republicans. They're viewing this as a tax hike bill. Yeah, I mean, absolutely it is. Um, and, and I think the the question of how you pay for it, I mean, we've already <clears throat> heard how we're going to try to pay for this. Um, I, it is so disingenuous to say, well, we're going to have the corporations <clears throat> pay for this. Mm-hmm. The corporations pass that along to people, regular people. They are going to pay the bill. So it's kind of a hidden tax hike, not to mention the other tax hikes that we're going to have or that they're going to try to push through under this reconciliation idea. So, yeah, I don't know how we're going to pay for this, but we're going to pay for this out of your pocket. That's we how do, we're going to pay for it. We do have to pause. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. I have just learned that we have problems with our phones this evening, so if you're uh, dying to get on and call us, uh, it's not going to work, but uh, you can uh, go to our Facebook page and uh, offer your comments that way. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Wish you were here. Words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here. Climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. First of all, back, uh, question to you, Judith. Uh, do you think the founding fathers would be happy uh, where we are politically in this country, that uh, uh, you're going to have to have uh, somebody, some give and take uh, on Capitol Hill to well, see something happen? Yeah, I think, uh, caught me off guard a little bit, give and take? Yeah, I think uh, if you read Federalist Number 10, for those of us who remember what the Federalist Papers are, uh, they they knew there were going to be factions. They knew there were going to be problems. I mean, the reason we have a constitution is because pr- prior to that, we had Articles of Confederation where everybody got to do whatever they wanted to do. The federal government mm-hmm. couldn't get anybody to do anything. Uh, so the whole point of, of the constitution was to set up this limited government. Uh, the power was going to be given to this government uh, by the people, which is the state's. And there was going to be this play back and forth between the three branches of government. And, I mean, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into this in more detail later, but we have been chipping away at this very carefully engineered process for years. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid of where it's going Eric? right now. I think they'd be happy with the idea of give and take. But the thing that I think they would be shocked about is that Congress is not and has not been a jealous guardian of their own power. 
They have been giving their power away at every chance that they have. They've been ceding it to the executive branch. They've been letting the court deal with things, the Supreme Court deal with problems to the greatest extent that they possibly can. They are not acting as if they are the supreme branch of the legislature, and they are the supreme branch of the legislature. They can fire the president. They can get rid of all the courts other than the Supreme Court. They can do a ton, but they're not acting as if they can. And people want to get into Congress right now to get better time slots on Fox News and that or on CNN. And that is a major problem. And I think we are worse off because Congress will not do its job. Absolutely. Uh, Ray Lopez, your reaction to this? Well, I think definitely our founders would be surprised Mm -hmm. at the form of government that we've morphed into. Obviously, 200 plus years later, we're not what our founding fathers anticipated. Um, And I think in large part, that is because of the fact that, you know, this notion that collaboration is somehow foreign to Congress and how that's become the norm down there uh, is not what they intended. Additionally, between executive orders and- That's not my dog this time. I just want to say that's not my dog this time. (laughs) Whose dog is that? But I just want to say that, you know, know, between Congress not even taking up like spending bills in order, like they used to. They just do it in one giant omnibus, which they've never read. And that's been a process that's been going on for almost a decade now. (laughs) Really shows how far one of the branches of government has completely abdicated its usefulness to to the people of the United States. And I think they would probably be encouraging us to revisit the Constitution to see what we can do to make Congress functional again, whether it was term limits or whatever we need to put in place to make them a functional body, because clearly they're not anymore. I'm glad to see that the dog is as exercised about the problems with Congress as I am, because I'm fit to be tied about. I I want to add one quick thing, though. But it was Dan's dog. I want to add add one thing, though. The... um, We all point to the bridge to nowhere as like one of the horrible things that happened in Congress. I want to say something that I was wrong about. I was one of the people who was opposed to the idea of earmarks, and I think I was wrong about that, because... That was a way that you got people to buy in on legislation in Congress in a way that's not possible now because we've gotten rid of earmarks. So the idea of sending, you know, a few million dollars off to someone's district for a rec center or a bridge to nowhere to get them on board to a bill that probably is reasonable is not a tool that's available anymore. And I think it has made Congress more dysfunctional. And it hasn't really saved us a whole lot of money as here we are talking about a two point five trillion dollar infrastructure bill. I also thought that the local person bills come from the top Absolutely. down they have to come from pelosi or from one of right. the the mm-hmm. the, top, leaders. the leaders of the party as opposed to from an average member shows how dysfunctional that body is because a question at the, at the at the local level though how does a, a a local municipal official like yourself and we should mention for those around the country there are 50 members of the chicago city council uh how do you get the needs of of your personal needs within your ward ray how do you get that to the mayor, who you are not very close to at all, how do you get your needs to her, and how does she get her needs to the folks in Washington or Springfield, the state capital? Well, I think even at the local level, whether it's Chicago, St. Louis, or New Orleans, or whomever, you know, your elected aldermen, trustees, council members, whomever, yeah. advocate for their districts or their residents, and they take that advocacy 
for resources to the chief executive, the mayor, the, the uh, village coordinator, whomever that may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you advocate and you push. Now, I could not imagine being in a position where I'd have to take my needs and tell the most senior member of city council to act on my behalf in the hopes that they would do that for me. And that's basically the setup that you have in Congress now that, you know, a freshman member has to go to Pelosi or one of them to say, can you, can this become a priority in our party's legislation? That is a dysfunctional way of operating because that negates the usefulness of 400 members in that body. And that would totally stop any kind of progress locally. And I don't know how that even works federally. Well, I'd like to say that that I, picking up on your point, Ray, that absolutely doesn't work federally. That's that's something that is going to destroy the federal system. And, and I think I have to agree with Eric. Doing away with earmarks was an absolute, I mean, everybody thought it was a wonderful idea at the time. A lot of times that's what happens. But what's what's happened is the local people who know what they need have just been taken out of the picture at all. The whole idea of issues in the country coming from the people, forget about it. It's not there anymore. It's only whatever national ideas Nancy Pelosi wants or 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 even Mitch McConnell, God help us, or, or uh, Chuck Schumer. It, it's not just, this is not a, a national body. It is a federal body. The people who sit there are elected by their constituents who want certain things, and they can't get them unless and, they happen to fit into Nancy Pelosi's pet project and, of the and, day. And, and, I mean, and what, is, do that. what is one of the things that we bemoan most in American society right now is how partisan things are and the inability to get people from the other side of the aisle bought in through that traditional process of saying, right. OK, we'll give you something you need for your district to get on board with this legislation. It it makes it more partisan because then everything just becomes a partisan clash. Is right. there That's anything that can be done, That's Dan? a real good point that you just lock things down. It used to be that you would trade something. You know, you need an exit ramp right. in your That's district, right. and I'll trade you the extra exit ramp for a swimming pool for your local high school. Right. That sort of back and forth went, you know, happened all the time back, you know, back in the old days. I'm not that old myself, but I'm just saying that sort of back and forth, you know, it was like a, a lubrication on the system. Into the point that was just made by the alderman about the the back and forth. You know, you got a young congressman, and I'm not picking on this guy from North Carolina, Madison Cathorn, but you got a young guy from North Carolina just came into the house. He's been here a couple of months. He really had, doesn't even have a legislative staff, but he's got a really big comm staff. He's got you know making sure that he's booked on Fox and OAN and Newsmax and Breitbart mm-hmm. to get his message out. They're very successful when it comes to a comms department. But they're not doing anything legislatively. He's not doing any of the hearings. He's not doing the real hard work, but he's making sure that he's on Fox, he's on OAN, and he's on the other networks, you know, pushing his message. And that's that's just the world we live in right now, like it or not. I don't. I, I like the way it was set up before, but that's the way there's workhorses and show horses, and there's a lot more show horses. That's the is that of change? Yeah, and I is think that, that, is that is that likely to change though? Given, not given with the, the person, media. Not well, not with the media. That's what I'm saying. That, right. You know, whether it's him or kissing, uh, uh, Kinsinger, uh, they're they're always looking for the camera. Right. They're always jumping in front of the camera, and and I mean, and Matt I don't, Gates, and Matt Gates. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but AOC. tell me, t- AOC, yep. AOC. Yeah. yeah. What, did, what did she do for her district? She made sure that Amazon didn't come and bring you know gazillions of jobs. I mean, they're not interested in their district. They're interested in being a personality 
and perhaps moving on to whatever the next personality level well, go, is. Going back to politicians responding to incentives, as we just talked about, there's not a lot that they can do for their districts. So right. they, you have two different kinds of people in Congress right now. You have a lot of people who are, well, you said you work horses and show horses. You have a lot of show horses mm-hmm. because it is easy to go in front of a camera and give talking points. You don't have a lot of work horses because it's not glamorous. Right. And you can't point to, hey, I was I had a hit on Tucker the other night right. as a means of raising money to get yourself reelected. I mean, it is a dysfunctional system. What, right. And point, nobody's name is on a bill. Do you see anybody's name of the people we've been talking about on a bill? Yeah. At, at, oh, the, no. at, this, at this point in time, uh, and I'm going to just start with you, Judith. I mean, how do you get how do you get uh, beyond this? What does does either a network does does media does some political leader have to do something dramatic that changes this uh, current paradigm? Well, I I do think I actually read something the other day that there is some idea percolating in the Congress about bringing back earmarks. I do think that will help. Because the horse trading, politics is about horse trading. I'll give you this, you give me that. Right. And and it's about talking to people. And and these people don't talk to each other. I really do not believe that what, anybody I, that Congress talks to each other. I'll give sure. you. I'll give you another one. Get the cameras out of committee meetings. Oh, absolutely. Get the television cameras out of committee meetings. Because if you watch all of those hearings, it's all performative. They ask the same questions over and over again. They don't give their people that they're talking to time to respond. Because getting back to the point about horse trading, it's negotiation. And what can't you do in public? You can't negotiate in public. That's right. You need to get the cameras out of there. What can, at this moment, this is going to be, everybody can sort of think of this because I'm going to pose the question now and then we're going to go to a break. Uh, the, the question is, what is it that President Biden can do for Joe Manchin that gets Joe Manchin on the Democratic freight train? What is it that they can do for West Virginia? I mean, it's going to be very obvious. You can't, I don't think, hide things. But what does he have to do to get Joe Manchin to be more of a Democratic Biden, big spending member of the Democratic Party? I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Evanston, Illinois. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees... It doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls. Not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of Pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. For those watching on television, you're seeing the view of a ride from... 
California back to Chicago. Many years ago, that looks like it's in uh, either Colorado or Utah. But again, uh, nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, phone number uh, is not working tonight, so uh, if you have a comment, you can go to uh, uh, Bruce Dumont, uh, either Bruce Dumont at, Dumo, at Dumo. Uh, or just at Dumo if you want to send me a tweet at Dumo or Bruce Dumont at museum.tv, and we'll get to your comments. Uh, I want to take a moment now and let each of our guests briefly introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Dan Rowan, who joins us from Washington, D.C. this evening. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I'm the associate editor for News and Multimedia Transport Topics. It's an 85-year-old publication that uh, covers the trucking, freight, logistics, and transportation industry. I'm a former correspondent at CNN. Grew up in Chicago, not far from your radio station, right. Bruce. And I'm also a uh, host on uh, Sirius XM, I host a weekend show called Transport Topics Radio on Channel 146. Very good. Ray Lopez, Raymond Lopez. Tell us Hi, about Bruce. yourself. Hi, Bruce. Good evening to you and all your listeners and viewers tonight. I'm Raymond Lopez, Alderman of Chicago's 15th Ward, uh, two-term members, City Council, City of Chicago, representing the southwest side of its city, uh, populations predominantly African-American and Latino, uh, focusing on safety and security of my residents and lifting up all communities. Are you uh, speaking from the 15th Ward Media Center tonight? <laughs> I am background? live and in person in the 15th Ward Brighton Park Service Office. Yes, sir. Really? Okay, because that's a very impressive background. It's, it's, it's real, right? It's not a... It's 100% real. It's 100% real. Ah, 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 ah. Very good. Okay. <laughs> it's not and, a Zoom. <laughs> and uh, your, your, your dog is uh, your dog is uh, safely away from the microphones. That's my I, dog, Bruce. That's I Ronan's know. dog. No, I know. But uh, Ray had his dog uh, make a couple of visits a, a few weeks, weeks ago. Yeah. The last two the last two times on here, um, <laughs> either my, my baby Walter or Monroe made a, you know, cameo appearances on the Beyond the Beltway show. Okay. Eric Cohen, tell us about yourself. Uh, last, Bruce, this is where I have to tell you that my Chiron up there is uh, is a lie. The run of my program on WIND, Sources with Knowledge, has uh, has reached its end. Um, it was whoa, a, uh, whoa, yeah, whoa. Uh, had a great time doing it. So it could now say uh, unemployed talk show host. So if anybody out there is a, uh, you know, is a station director or something and thinks that uh, I might be good to have on your station, I'm available. But I do have a day job. I'm the director of marketing communications for the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty okay. based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, we will, we will have our uh, director erase that literally the next time you see it. It will be, uh, we don't want to say unemployed. We <laughs> talk, want to say libertarian. Talk show host, host for hire. <laughs> or, or libertarian. You're That's libertarian. fine. That's fine with me. And a frequent guest and, and will continue to be a frequent guest on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, also, uh, let's go to Judith Sherwin. Judith, you have a lot of fans out there. Whenever I mentioned you're going to be on, you've riled up a lot of people. Well. And you've you know, become lovable to some. Lovable? Well, that's kind of different. All right. In any uh, I'm Judith Sherwin. Thanks for having me on again, Bruce. I am an attorney in Chicago with the firm of Retzel and Andrus, and I'm also an adjunct professor at Loyola University Law School in Chicago, where I teach uh, business ethics and occasionally constitutional law uh, in the religion area. And... Um, um, and I'm really happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to our discussion, which is what very can, lively. What can uh, what can Joe Biden do uh, to get uh, Joe Manchin more on the reservation? We'll start with uh, you, uh, Eric. 
I don't know that he's all that off the reservation when it comes to most things. Where he's off the reservation is where he's repeatedly had to say, including in a Washington Post op-ed, <laughs> that he is not going to get rid of the filibuster. And one of the things I think would help is if they would stop asking him about it. I'm sure he would appreciate that. You're, I don't think you're going to get him on board with that ever. But the idea that you can't get a senator from West Virginia on board with spending a whole bunch of money, possibly to put his name on as many buildings as Robert Byrd's name is on yeah. in West Virginia, is not outrageous at all. I don't think he is off the reservation for most things. I just okay. think that he is just not going for to go there. For progressives he is, though. Well, for progressives he's, he's he is a, because no. he's, he is a more centrist Democrat than the people who are to the far left of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. The way to get him on there is to, to get him on board, especially when he you know represents a state that voted overwhelmingly for Trump and that probably if he's not running as a Democrat, a Republican wins that seat, uh, browbeating him about the filibuster is not the way to get him no. to work with you. Right. No. And, and sending somebody down there to threaten him by doing media appearances to build pressure against Joe Manchin is, is a waste of not time. Not wise. Which uh, Biden uh, did, did, Kamala Harris did yep. Uh, yep. a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, I want to switch gears and I want to go to uh, something that uh, ha- has really dominated a-, a lot of discussion and certainly uh, network uh, television coverage over the last couple of weeks, and that is the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, CNN is carrying it uh, nonstop. Uh, all the networks, in fact, it was on every station, every network uh, for the first couple of days. Uh, it's now down to pretty much, uh, you know, Court TV, and not, or not Court TV, but uh, CNN. Uh, I have watched a lot of it. They have only presented uh, the prosecution. The defense is supposed to start uh, this coming week. And uh, I want to get everybody's reaction. Uh, how many people would say that you've watched a lot of the trial? Is there anybody that, that will honestly say they've watched a lot of the trial? I haven't. Just... Bits and pieces. You know, okay. I've caught some of it on the evening news. I've caught some of it flipping around or if uh, I've been, uh, you know, driving Is around, any- I'll have CNN on the, and Sirius XM, but I haven't been glued to it. It's not like it. And I covered the OJ trial. It's not like the OJ trial of, you know, 20 years ago with Judge Ito and all the uh-huh. the, the stuff that went on with that. So I have, I've been following it close enough. I know, you know, I saw the testimony by the, uh, the, uh, forensic pathologist the other day, the Irish gentleman right. who did a magnificent job, I thought, explaining what happened. But, you know, am I glued to it now? Okay. Uh, Ray, a, qu- a question to you. Um, one of the things as a city father in Chicago is you uh, have got to prepare uh, the city uh, for whatever the verdict might be. Uh, some people are suggesting that if there is a not guilty verdict, uh, there's going to be the type of protests that could turn violent that disrupted Chicago significantly and other major cities uh, should that happen. Uh, in Chicago, it is even uh, maybe more of a tinderbox because there was recently a shooting uh, by the Chicago Police Department of a 13-year-old boy who was out at 2.30 in the morning who had a gun, but he's 13 years old. The video of that, which is supposed to be devastating, has been held by the Chicago Police Department for a couple of weeks now. It's supposed to come out next week. So as someone who's very concerned about, you know, maintaining peace and serenity as much as possible in Chicago, what are your concerns? And and do you think that uh, the big cities of America are going to be prepared for whatever might come in the future? 
Well, it's my hope that the cities are preparing themselves. My hope is that they have learned from the history of last, of just a year ago, of what happens when mayors make the mistake of assuming that all protesters are peaceful and these protesting events turn into rioting and looting and organized chaos. Um, we know in certain cities like Portland, for example, they're still burning things down. There's still, you know, there's still areas of this country that have autonomous zones or somehow we've succeed, they've uh, seceded from their municipalities. You know, that is problematic because I think what we're going to see is a continuation for some groups who are going to use this as an opportunity to once again rise to the occasion to destroy our cities, even in the city of Chicago as we speak. You know, those two videos, those two back-to-back events are going to get people's emotions up. And I personally don't think that in our city here that we've learned from the past because we're using a lot of the same policies as before, canceling days off and putting garbage trucks in the middle of streets in the hopes that that somehow dissuades people from running up and down. Um, Is there anything that that could be done? Is there anything that could or should be done with community leaders, uh, not only in Chicago, but around the nation, other than thinking and planning exclusively for a police response to perceived uh, protests that get out of hand? Well, you know what, Bruce? Personally, I will tell you this. I think it's a failure in many cities, including this one, where we stoke the fires of a narrative that primes everyone just to riot and just to protest. We don't teach people to think. We don't teach people to step back and take a deep breath. We're fuel, adding fuel to the fire every time one of these incidents happens without having the totality of the truth at our beck and call. And because we don't wait for the truth to come out in full, we're priming everyone to the point where they want to burn the cities to the ground. And I think that is where politicians need to stand up and stop pandering to people and say, look, hold on, take a deep breath, and let's figure this out together because the neighborhood you're going to burn down more than likely will be your own. Do you believe that, uh, or or in Chicago, is there... uh... Is there any plan to let the Chicago City Council see this video before it's released to the general public? And should they see it prior to the public? Well, the standard practice in Chicago, at least, is that if we are in a lawsuit, that's when the members of the City Council's Finance Committee would see the video because we'd have to make a decision on whether or not to pay Mm -hmm. um, for it. You know, I think right now we've heard from our state's attorney's office led by Kim Fox, they kind of did a narrative of what's on the video. And from what it sounds is like that this young man was with a 21 year old from the other side of the city of Chicago, running through alleys with a weapon uh, shoot that the police were uh, in pursuit of. And this individual was asked to turn around and drop the weapon numerous times. And he did turn around with the weapon. And for any law enforcement officer, having someone turn around with a gun in their hand facing you is not a good position to be in. And in eight-tenths of a second, that officer made a decision to shoot that individual at 2.30 in the morning. We've got a pause. We've got a pause. A lot of people ask the question, why 2.30 in the morning? We'll discuss that when we come back. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. 
One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. And uh, I want to get a uh, reaction to uh, uh, a, a, a fact in this particular case. Uh, this involves uh, the, the shooting in Chicago. And uh, we're talking about it because it's going to be a bigger story in Chicago. And I'm going to predict that it's going to be a big story nationally. So wherever you're listening, you're going to hear about the case of Adam Toledo, who was the 13-year-old boy who was shot. Uh, by Chicago police. It was at 2.30 in the morning. And again, a lot of people I've heard already say, why is a 13-year-old out at 2.30 in the morning? And I want to get everybody's response to it. And, and is it germane to this story? Is it like, you know, is this an important thing to know, like whether George Floyd had fentanyl in his system, or is it is it just an attempt by, uh, by the defense team uh, to... Uh, paint a uh, or or prosecution team to paint a darker picture of the uh, uh, of the victim i think Eric, it's Eric. i think it's more relevant than if george floyd had fentanyl in his system i you have a significant problem in the city of chicago i've i've told the story on this program before one of the things we should recognize is the gang problem we have in the city of chicago is a story of the success of the Chicago Police Department in the 80s and the 90s, that they treated it like the mafia. And they thought they'll cut the heads off of these gang organizations and the whole thing will scatter. Well, it did, but not in the way that they were planning on it. It took the accountability chain out of, you know, if, if you shot a, if you're a gang member, you shoot a, a three-year-old, a three-year-old dies, that gang member is never going to be seen again then after right, that. Right. Well, now it's all block by block, uh, area by area, neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, and it is I, – I, I have a good friend who was at an event with um, uh, Gary McCarthy, the former police uh, commissioner here in Chicago, and asked about, like, how do you fix this problem? And his answer was, I don't know that you can fix it. And there are just so many – there are so many years of built up all kinds of different sociological, anthropological problems that we have in the city. So yeah, I, I think it's relevant that you had a 13-year-old with a weapon at 2.30 in the morning. It, you can still say – what happened is awful and tragic, and you can bemoan the fact that a 13-year-old's life has ended. But the circumstances in which that happened are far from irrelevant to the story. Right. Judy. Yeah, I, you know, in, in my own neighborhood in Chicago now, we have a tremendous problem with kids who are 13 to 15-year-olds with guns uh, hijacking cars on the street. It's, it's, it happens almost every day. And, and so, and this is in broad daylight. We're not talking about 2.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So let alone 2.30 in the morning, yes, it's tragic that a 13-year-old's life ended. But if you were a policeman chasing somebody down the alley who's with, with somebody else, he wasn't alone. It turns out he was with somebody who was 20 years old. And the guy turns around and points a gun at you. What are you going to do? Are you going to wait for him to shoot you? I, I mean, you can't. You shouldn't. So they're not trained that way. 
nor should they be trained that way. Ray, I want to ask Ray, Ray, how important to this story is a 13-year-old being out on the streets at 2.30 in the morning? Well, because the pe- people that I've mentioned this to, they said, where are the parents? Are the parents liable? Should the parents be uh, held accountable for why their kid is out at 2.30 in the morning and they're 13 years old? You know, the, the parental aspect is something that I've long advocated for my entire tenure as alderman, because not only is the fact that he was out at 2.30 in the morning with a man, you know, eight years his senior, also the other thing that's problematic too is the fact that this is the second time he was missing for days that his mom didn't even know where he was at. This young man was reported missing earlier in the week for not coming home for a few days. And the mom said, oh, he came back. And then he went out back with his gang buddies again and disappeared for two days. The mom had no idea that her son was dead in a morgue for two days because that's how, how aware she was of what he was doing. And I think that speaks to a larger problem that we have is that our parents do not have control of their children. Our families are broken. And then when you get back to Eric's point about you know the 80s and 90s when we were in control, when you have the mayor and the uh, state's attorney making policies that are like telling our police, if you're in your car, don't pursue them. If you're on foot, don't run after them. The message you're sending to criminals is that we're not trying to get you. We don't want to arrest you. And that only emboldens them to recruit younger and younger, which they've been doing for at least the past decade. Mm-hmm. And that makes these situations happen all the more every week. Frequent. Uh, Dan and Rowan, your, your, your response to uh, the age uh, of this uh, victim, I mean, he, was, he was a victim of police shooting. It's a but- horrible crime. It's a, it was a horrible thing that happened with the shooting. But the question does, you know, as to the alderman said, you know, where is the family in this situation? But not only where is the family, but where is the Department of Children and Family Services? Where are the folks, you know, in that area? Also, uh, because so many schools right now are on remote learning. I have a high school age student, a little older than he's 17. But, you know, where's the school? Where's the school in on this? I mean, you know, if the young man doesn't start showing up for school, uh, you know, is uh, did the parents get a phone call from the school or did they hear from the school? There's a lot of things that red flags all over the place that show that, that this young man was in real trouble in terms of his life and the decision he was making. It It's a terrible story that happened. And I think that uh, I'm not saying that the police officer was justified or not. I mean, eight tenths of a second is a, is a terrible amount of time right. to have to make a, a life or death decision. But it's just not just a breakdown of the family. I think it's also the school system and also children and protective services. Okay. When we come back, we're going to do a, pick this up on the other side of the news and also expand our discussion to a lot of other areas, including the problems at the southern border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway.
For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Boosterman back on hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. If you've uh, joined us now, you've missed the first hour. But again, a reminder, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Facebook Live. You can find us on YouTube. So there's no such thing as missing this program. Uh, We are live and we're around the clock uh, 24 hours a day. So Judith, 3 o'clock in the morning, you're wide awake. You can tune yourself in, and you'll put yourself to sleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I'm talking. Oh, yeah. uh, no, but, uh, Judith, you wanted to make a point. By the way, for those that just joined us, we were talking about uh, parental responsibility, uh, a, a crime that took place in Chicago that you're going to be hearing more of, uh, the shooting of a 13-year-old boy by the name of Adam uh, Toledo. Uh, and you were making a point before the break, Judith. Yeah, thank you. Um, I uh, have a very good friend, had a very good friend who was a judge in the juvenile court in Chicago. 
And he, it's the hardest part of his job. He'd have 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds in front of him. Uh, no life, no, no direction, petty crimes, sometimes with a gun. He didn't see too many with a gun in those days. This was about 10 years ago. But no parents, no parents. Nobody is around to take care of them. Uh, most of them were living with their grandparents, who he said were really the only anchor in their life. They absolutely had no anchor in their life. So I, I just want to say in, in response to, to Dan's comment about, you know, this is a failure of the school. It's a failure of, of DCFS. DCFS isn't going to fix this. The school is not going to fix this. This is something that the family, that really we have destroyed the family in the black community, I think. I think we can all take some responsibility for that. Um, when we, when you say we, you mean uh, government programs over I, the last 50 yeah, years? I mean government programs over the last 50 years. I, I mean, and people kind of saw it coming, and they said, you know, don't do this. You're going to destroy the family. And lo and behold, that's exactly what we did. I mean, well, these children don't have parents. They have people mm -hmm. who gave birth to them. There's generally no father in the house. Mom is... Who knows where mom is? She may be there or she may not be there. And the grandparents are trying to deal with this, and, and but, they're just not able to. Hey, Bruce. I want, I want, go, go ahead, Dan. Hey, Bruce, I should, to, 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 to her point, uh, I should tell you, I'm the, the father of five adopted kids, uh, mm -hmm. three out of foster care in Georgia when I lived in Atlanta. Uh, you know, you're, to her point, the, it's not just the court system and the school system and uh, the children and family services. It's collectively society as a whole. And if a kid is being raised by his grandparents, as I was in Chicago in the, the, in the early 1970s, I consider myself very fortunate that I had, you know, grandparents who were very strong and could, you know, keep me in line and kick me in the behind when I screwed up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's a very tough situation for these kids. And, you know, these kids in foster care and in broken homes and the like, uh, I've read some of the case reports and, you know, some of the children in my own life that we adopted and raised, it's uh, it's one hell of a mess. And I don't know how we fix it. I really don't. I mean, you can throw more money at the problem. You can, uh, you know, hire more, uh, you know, social workers, but the problem isn't going to be solved. And it's going to, we, we've lost, in some cases, we've lost a generation in terms of young people. And it's, and it's terribly, terribly sad. We've lost more than one generation. Yeah. yeah it, okay. it, it, Dan, it, I want to just mention on a personal note, because, I was not aware of that. Thank you very much for sharing your personal story. Uh, I would like to do a program in the future on foster care. I don't think we spend enough time in this country as journalistically talking about foster care, the role it plays, what it is supposed to do. Is it successful? Is it unsuccessful? Uh, why success or why lack of success? And uh, perhaps yourself and Two or three other people who have similar backgrounds as yourself sure. uh, could 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 join us for a, a special panel that night because I think uh, most people are are bewildered when they when they hear the term foster care or there's a there's a negative connotation that goes with foster care that that it it, it may be earned or it or it may be bogus. Uh, Eric, I was just going to make the point that I think we're all hinting at it. This is a cultural problem. 
And the problem with cultural problems like that is that they are created by you know, the, the atrophying of civil society, um, that we have uh, communities that are falling apart, that we have communities that are moving online. We have a decline in rigi- religiosity in this country that typically places like church communities have been incredibly important for supporting people who have problems. And those communities are not there anymore. People aren't going to those uh churches to be a part of that community anymore. And the problem with cultural issues like that is there isn't a public policy solution to them. There isn't a financial solution to them. Mm-hmm. They are co- they're complicated issues, and there is no single thing or even a handful of things that you could do by passing legislation to fix them. It is a long-run thing that you need to work on. And there's just no easy answers to it. We should avoid thinking there are easy well, answers. Well, there's no groupthink answer to it. It's, yes. it's something that has to work on an individual level. On a local level, yeah. And, yeah. Ray, do you agree with that? You know, I think to a point, Eric is correct. But I think also there are things that we can do to stem the tide. I think there are things that we can do to redirect the cultural wave as it, we see it coming. You know, and by creating laws that hold parents accountable for what their children do, do, for what their children do, forces them to be attentive to what's going on. We saw the impact of that when the city of Chicago passed a law saying that if your children were caught spray painting graffiti, the parents would get a fine. All of a sudden parents were looking for spray cans in their children's bedrooms. Mm -hmm. And I think there are things that we can do to try and nudge parents in the right direction. Government should not be the ultimate babysitter, but we can be the good motivator to get people back on track. When you talk about parental involvement uh, within the, again, you represent uh, uh, Hispanic and also uh, African-American uh, uh, residents of, of your ward is let's talk about the difference between the African-American family and the Hispanic family. Can you put that in context of, of, where the strength and where the weaknesses might be in, in either of those communities, Ray? Well, I think in very, very, very broad terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I agree with what Judith's assessment was, uh, particularly of the evolution of the black family, where we've seen the large scale incarceration of African Amer- African-American males, removing the father figure from the family have an impact. We've seen where younger and younger people are having babies where grandma's 40 years old. You know, we've seen this evolution and the toll that it has taken on families not passing down values as they've been passed down for generations before that. Um, But I also think that similarly in the Latino community, you also have that absent male figure, not necessarily due to incarceration, but because they might be working double jobs or might have immigration issues, not being in this country. There might be something else. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have a situation where, you know, families are struggling in the Latino demographic, again, very broadly speaking, um, and are not fully attentive to what their children are doing or who they're hanging around with. And their children are finding male role models and familial role models in the loving embrace of gang members for generations. And we're seeing that impact now play out with this case. And it's definitely been something well, look, that we Look who this kid was running war. around with, a 21-year-old yeah. kid. who was no, 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 no. He's a 21-year-old man with a documented history, arrested six times prior, right, all right, for yeah. gang right, exactly. child was running around with him, yep. looking yep. for a 21-year-old man. Yeah. Yep. 
We've got a pause. I want to pick up on that discussion. We'll also talk about illegal immigration and the problems at our southern border. When we roll on from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Wish you were here. Words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here. Climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. My back. Nice to be back with you. Uh, you wanted to make a point, uh, Eric, about uh, a show that many perhaps did not see last week because it is opposite our program, <clears throat> unfortunately. Uh, it's called. It's a little show called Sixty Minutes. Better and, they should listen to this. <laughs> and, and last week they decided to bring out the knives and uh, the the proctoscope and look at uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida. What did you think of the piece and uh, reaction to it? Uh, so I like 60 Minutes generally. And from the point of view of like as someone else who I, I like NPR, I know where they're coming from. I think they actually do a, a pretty decent job if I, as I understand the bias that comes into that I go into the program with uh, with their reporting. This piece was atrocious. It was a multi-million dollar in-kind contribution to the Ron DeSantis for President 2024 campaign. Um, Ron DeSantis is – now, I, I have a few issues with Ron DeSantis. I don't like the way he ran for governor, but I think he's been a pretty good governor of the state of Florida. His uh, The deaths per million in Florida are 27th in the country. He's middle of the pack in a state with a largely older population. And just the whole thesis of this piece – that he gave the public supermarket chain uh, this kind of priority contract to distribute the COVID vaccine because of a $100,000 contribution that they made to his campaign and a gubernatorial campaign that will probably cost, what, $25, $30 million, where they donate to, Publix donates to part, uh, candidates of both parties mm-hmm. because there are over 800 public stores throughout Florida. If you've ever visited Florida, you will see They're a Publix. Right. They were the most well-prepared. And the, the most egregious part of this story is that he walked them through the whole decision process. Over about a minute and a half in responding to the the 60 Minutes reporter's question at a press conference. And they cut out the middle, which was his explanation. And their explanation for why they did it was, well, that's just the way we edit for time. Excuse me? (laughs) You have your segments on 60 Minutes are some of the longer reported segments on television, which is one of the reasons I like it. And to make that excuse to not take ownership the way that 60 Minutes did for, say, the Dan Rather Memogate story back in 2004, the difference between then and now. People lost their jobs back then. No one's going to lose their job over this. It is going to elevate Ron DeSantis. If their political angle of this was to take him down, they failed miserably and, in fact, probably cemented his role as the front runner for the presidency of the United States in 2024, for the, at least for the Republican nomination. And also, and also Donald, uh, Donald Trump's uh, 
preferred candidate for vice president, he said uh, the other night at Mar-a-Lago. But, yeah. but to your point about this, you know, we live in different times than we did in 2004 or 1999. And I saw the piece and I thought to myself, OK, uh, I'm not so sure. But we don't know what was left on the edit room floor or what what didn't make the cut. We don't know. But no, we do, because we have the video of the entire answer at the press conference. We, we do have that. know what was well, left. Well, wait a second. Let me finish. Right, but DeSantis is DeSantis is kind of played fast and loose. And I'm not. You know, I'm trying to be as objective as I can on this. DeSantis has played fast and loose down in Florida. Yeah, the state's in the middle of the pack in terms of, uh, you know, the, the the cases and everything like that. That That's good. I'm glad that they're where they are. You know, certainly we've lost 550,000 people to this horrible, horrible illness. But he's kind of played fast and loose. He played, you know, early on in the, the, the crisis, there were the questions about the reporting and the statistics and uh, you know, there was the firing of the official down there for, uh, you know, because she was a whistleblower and stuff. So DeSantis, I don't want to say he had it coming, but, you well, know. You're going to say he had it coming. <laughs> so it's okay to lie about it. No, I didn't say. And it's but we okay don't know, to cut out think, half of his press Sharon conference. Alfonso, I don't think Sharon Alfonsi and her producer lied. I think there's a different interpretation. And depending on where no you're at in the political spectrum. Let me just finish. Depending on where you're at in the political spectrum. In, in, you know, the red camp and the blue camp, everyone's going to, you know, move to their respective corners and come out firing. Well, and I think that's I'm not surprised, you know, that, that, that this has been the reaction that uh, the DeSantis camp, you the, know, came out uh, and was the very thesis. on it. No, I, I, I have to agree the, with 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 Eric. This is this is like a, a in kind contribution to DeSantis's campaign. But, if they wanted to take him out. If they wanted to set him up and, and, you know, somehow elevate Mario Como, who managed to kill 15,000 nursing home residents, you know, they didn't do Andrew, a very good job. Andrew Cuomo. Andrew, Andrew Cuomo, yeah. But yeah. set, Andrew set Cuomo. aside okay. for a second the fact that they cut out part of his answer there. The right. thesis well, yeah, of the piece is also— Wait, 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 to, to that specific point, they cut out the meat of his explanation addressing the thesis of the piece. And even aside from that, narrative. the thesis of the piece, that a $100,000 campaign contribution was what influenced him to give the largest supermarket chain in Florida this contract, is ridiculous. It was a hit job. It was a clear and obvious hit job. Absolutely. And you know I what? The worst, the worst word, the absolute okay. worst word in the English language that the that the media loves and that politicians have taken to is narrative. Because whenever you hear the word narrative, you're talking about somebody taking some disconnected ideas, putting them together, and making up some sort of fantasy. These people Telling at sixty these people at sixty minutes put this together. Their narrative was Ron DeSantis is a bad governor. We don't want him to run for president, God forbid. We certainly don't want him to be Donald Trump's running weight. And we're going to do whatever we can to put a nail in that coffin. So instead of putting a nail, excuse me, I'm not done yet. They had to know that if they did that, the, 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 the red state folks would rally around him. So, Everybody you know, here's the, here's the problem. Out. There are no red states. There are no blue states. You have in Florida a situation where DeSantis put together a network for vaccines, about 85 percent of the older people, and he's got a lot of them. 
it's almost a miracle the, the, the where he is. You say, well, he's kind of in the middle of the pack on the COVID. He has all the old people. Oh, yeah. They're not right. dying in Florida. They're getting vaccinated and they're doing that because of what he's been able to do. Now, if you wanna if you wanna sit there and talk about some lady okay. was a whistleblower from a year ago, that's fine. Okay. The point is things are different in Florida and 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 what sixty minutes did wasn't a lie, but it was a complete mischaracterization okay. of everything. Yeah, we just, are just going to what, no, no, what, what, I live in a state. What, what, I live wait, in the wait, state, wait. state of Maryland. We have a Republican governor, Larry Hogan, mm-hmm. and I think that he's done. You know, I, I'm an independent politically, but as a Republican governor in a state that's a very Democratic state, Hogan has done a pretty good job. Hats off to him. Hats off to DeSantis if he's done that and he's gotten all those folks vaccinated. Good for him. They can all run in the primary. Uh, Case closed on this. We're going to move forward. I'm just stunned that there were so many people watching 60 Minutes last week and not listening to the program. But, you know, it's because I can get your program on the podcast later. They were DVRing 60 Minutes, Bruce. They were recording it. I want to go. I saw it on Twitter. Okay, saw it on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go. I want to go uh, to to Ray Lopez to begin this conversation, because obviously the story of illegal immigration and and the migration uh, into the United States involving uh, unaccompanied minors continues to be a big story. Uh, the president, the vice president, they've not taken the time uh, to go down to Texas or Arizona uh, and or California and look at the borders. Um, does that disturb you, Ray? Well, whether they go to the border or not doesn't necessarily disturb me. What bothers me is that, you know, you and your listeners and viewers know that I was quite critical of President Trump and his border policies yes. and the tent policies. And I don't deny any of it. Uh, but I was also quite cr- critical of President Obama, too, affectionately known as the deporter in chief. And to see the same policies, the same tent cities popping up right now, we have a crisis. And I will be the first to admit it is a crisis down there when you have a federal agency asking federal employees if they will take four months paid leave to go sit on the border and babysit the 20 to 35,000 un- undocumented children that we're going to have to contend with down there. And what I think the problem that we have is that, you know, President Biden assigned his vice president, Kamala Harris, to be in charge of the task force to deal with this issue. And there seems to be some friction and discontent between what she's trying to do and what Health and Human Services Secretary Becerra wants to do in terms of executing a plan to not only stem this, but address how to help those children down there that have no parents, have no idea what even just happened to them. And the longer this continues, the worse it's going to be. It's like FEMA camps from Hurricane Katrina down there right now. Mm -hmm. It's God awful. And all we're doing is just making a bad situation worse. You know, now I know uh, President Biden says send cash to the countries that they're coming from. I just don't see, you know, without a a long, you need a long term and a short term. And right now we have a no term plan, in my opinion. From a short from a short term plan. Would would turning back the clock a few months and reinstating uh, the 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 wait in Mexico rule of the Trump administration, which appeared to uh, halt the the mass migration, would that be part of a solution to you? You know, I don't I don't necessarily think that would have been a good solution. Um, having thousands of children just plopped on on the Mexico side of the fence, if you will, waiting for us to get our act together. You know, the federal government uh, was left 
haphazard with its employment, with uh, Trump's policies of decimating some of those, you know, Office of Refugees, you know, and all of them. But we also have a situation where we're not getting a cohesive policy right now. And just saying that we're going to keep taking them in, we're going to prop up more 10 cities. New York Times is reporting they're even going to bring some to some of the northern states and put them on uh, military bases and whatnot. You know, that is not a policy. We need to figure out what to do with these children. How do you keep them healthy? How do you keep them from being sexually abused? Because we know that happens. How do we address them in a humane way while figuring out how to stop this onslaught that's coming our direction? And I don't think there's left hand and right hand are on the same page on this one in the Biden administration. We've got to pause one. Uh, thank you for calling and uh, or thank you for your comment. No callers tonight. No phones. Creature of habit. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly. I want to come back. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees, it doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls, not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of Pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. This is another segment of Beyond the Bellway coming to you from WCGO Radio in beautiful Evanston, Illinois. And, Eric, you wanted to make a, a point about... Uh, uh, the policy or lack of same uh, on the border and uh, what what could be changed immediately? Is there something that immediately can be done to turn I'm, the tide? I, I, I'm going to be a politician here and be a little evasive. I'm going to, on the immediate part of it, I'm going to punt to, to Judith because I think she has a suggestion on the immediate part. I'm going to pull to the macro part of it which is, and I will admit, I have stolen this line from somebody else. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you stole it from me, you've stolen twice now. Uh <laughs> My desired immigration policy is to have an immigration policy. And the problem is that we have such a drastically awful patchwork of policies to address immigration in this country right now. One of the main, um, or I think one of the main things incentivizing people to come here illegally is because if you are a low-skill laborer from Mexico or from South America, the wait time for you to come here through the legal channels is approximately 175 years. It's not going to happen for you if you don't already have relatives within the country. So if we're not going to, and this is part of the problem with our politics right now, is that we cannot address this, in part because both parties would like to have this as an issue to run on, and there is not an incentive to want to solve these problems. At least I don't think that there is. If we're not going to make it possible that the people who do want to come here, that there's some orderly process that gives them a chance of coming here without having to live 200 years to do so, you're going to continue to have these problems. So I'm, I'm interested in addressing the macro, the, the bigger picture part of this. Uh, and- I, want to, I want to go to Ray Lopez. Ray, as, as you look at the issue uh, from your perspective, again, uh, you, you represent many uh, Hispanics. I don't know whether they're all from Mexico. They could be from other uh, other countries in Central America as well. 
But if you were if if you were to be able to wave your magic wand, what would happen? And how realistic would it be that you could get what you want in the world of politics? You know, I don't like Eric, you know, we all would like to see some sort of centralized functional immigration policy. And that's not a punt. That's just 20 plus years uh, of hearing people talk about it. I love to see someone actually do something about it. Um, I think, you know, Republicans are afraid that if Democrats pass it, it'll be a whole new generation of voters going to them. So they try to block it at every turn. So somehow thinking that that's going to be a political calculation that they're willing to take. I think in the end, you know, it used to be that people would leave their homes, bravely leave their homes, leave everything behind to come to the United States because they believe that a better place was here for them. Now we have a situation where children are just being shipped here. They're being, you know, thrown out of their countries. Their parents are paying to get them out of Central America because of things that are going wrong in these countries down there. And this isn't about labor. This isn't about, this is about fear. And I don't know how you address the fear parents have in other countries when you haven't even figured out how to address it in your own country. Is there, is there a role for Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, uh, was on with uh, on Meet the Press today. And one of the things he talked about was the, the important role that the United States has in dealing with the worldwide distribution of our, of our COVID-19 vaccines. And he, he repeated over and over again, and obviously the American people have to be served first, but, you know, we still have a responsibility to other countries to help them who are less fortunate. Is there a role for the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines? Is that something that the United States could use to get the attention of Mexico to close up their southern border? Or more importantly, is it something that they could say to the leaders of El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala, here, we're going to provide you with vaccinations for your needed constituency, including young people, and make sure they get vaccines there so they it will be one less incentive to come to the United States? Or is it just, is, 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 is that a wise use of something that we have that the world once we, we have it, it but i don't think that's the bargaining chip that's going to matter down in central america okay yeah. how come i think you're dealing with issues of cartel you're dealing issues of drugs narcotics things of that nature and and institutional violence running rampant and nobody really cares about a covid shot right at this point Here's, they're going to be dead by a cartel before they're dead by COVID. Here's here's my uh, uh, where I have to be the obligatory uh, libertarian and say, yes, the drug war is creating a huge amount of problems and we should end it. <laughs> All right. Well, if I, we ended if we ended it, if we ended the drug war, tell us what happened. Give us give us the domino effect that you see happening you, if you were to get your way. You stop empowering the black market suppliers that the cartels have a control over. In these countries. Now, it's not going to get rid of it. I'm, I'm not some kind of utopian that thinks it's going to get rid of you know, essentially organized crime in these countries entirely. But taking away one of their primary revenue streams by stopping the drug war in this country when this is a primary place that they're trying to move product into, that we empower them because you cannot acquire these things without going through um, illegal channels in this country. Uh, we help empower those cartels in those countries as a result of it. Yeah, I think it is a also, disastrous policy here and abroad. But we're also empowering the cartels with with the the, uh, the smuggling of these children. 
um, and and you know parents are paying these cartels yeah. to throw their children over the wall. I mean, I think you know you, you mentioned Ray the the issue about um, staying in Mexico that you didn't really think that was going to be very helpful because why why would it be better to have the children in Mexico than it would be having them in in Texas? The point of the remain in in Mexico uh, policy was not to have the children remaining in Mexico. It was to remove the incentive. These people don't want to come to Mexico. They want to come here. And if they realize that Mexico is not going to let them come here, they're going to stop coming. And that's precisely what happened. Look at the look at the people coming across the border last year and look at the people coming across this year. And and now what you have is is parents paying these cartels okay that's their other great product is is sending children unaccompanied into the united states i mean if nothing else we have a an obligation to try to stop that and i think we have to remove the incentive and and i'm not sure that ending the drug war up here is really going to do anything with with well, what to, the drug to, war that's going the on down there that, dan part, part of the incentive though is that employers in this country like low-cost labor and if they can hire someone at below market rates and they can hire someone who is illegal, uh, whether it's for agriculture or housekeeping in a hotel, whatever it is, they're going to go ahead and do it. And we've seen, you know, yeah, but lots we're talking of situations about where this, this takes place. Yeah, but Dan, we're talking right now about children. They're not hiring five-year-olds, okay? Absolutely. So, so we've got to remove those incentives. And there has been legislation there, I mean, if you eventually get E-Verify and, and you really go after people who are employing illegals, um, you know, you might get somewhere. But nobody has the nobody has the um, well, intestinal are, fortitude, shall we say, to go ahead and do that. There are, a, there are there are occasional raids that deal with that. There are occasional raids that do that and they're high visibility raids. But again, it it doesn't deal with the issue of. The children. But, what but what no, happens it doesn't to deal with it at all. You're right. You're exactly right. It doesn't deal with it at all. Right. But Bruce, both parties love the status quo. I don't absolutely. Absolutely. I don't agree with that. I think we all agree with yeah. that. They love having this as an issue. Then is this is this an issue? Even though we talk about it a lot, uh, does do, do we have complete agreement tonight that this is an issue that is never going to be solved in any significant way? Does everybody agree with that? Not Probably never. not. I, I, I don't think never is is correct. Yeah, I mean, I the, the, the problem is, is that we either. only we only deal with issues when they become. And I, I agree with Ray that this is a uh, this is a crisis at the border, right. but it is not a pressing enough crisis that we actually get Ray, politicians your to answer? deal with it. I never going to be done. It, I think the cartels have have seriously misjudged the use of children to continue this, because the first time something happens to a child that pulls on the heartstrings, like we saw with that young boy who was flung over the fence and wandering into the middle of the street and a border agent caught him on his way home, wondering what just happened, where's my mommy? Americans are very compassionate. And if something should happen to one of those kids that actually finally wakes up America, then you're going to see some action. Well, there's a big We've had children drown crossing the Rio Grande River, and the story gets some play for three or four days, and there, the pictures are horrific. There's a, big, there's, a, there's a big story now that there is alleged sex abuse 
going on in in one of the uh, detainee facilities in Texas. Uh, in Texas. I mean, that was and the same again, story during the Trump era. Right. I mean, well, that, the, 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 the era there was that that, that but, women yeah. who were making this long uh, pilgrimage, um, there were a lot of rapes that were going on there. We don't know how that story ended. That that raises, you know, whenever you talk about raping, I mean, you get everybody's attention. Right. I don't know what. happened. now when you happened. talk about children and sexual abuse, then you well, really get everybody's well, you, attention. You get their attention, but how first of it? all, is it real? Mm-hmm. Is it real? I can't imagine that it's not real. The allegations that I have heard, it's not that agents are abusing the children. So it has to be, you know, the the, the stronger or older children abusing the, the younger children. children. Right. So I mean, it's 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 abuse within the community. I suppose if if there was a if there was evidence that you know the guards and some of the military and some of the border patrol people were involved, that would be a huge story. Uh, but again, there's no evidence that that's that that is what this story is about. But it, it should get some attention. But I don't I don't know where you where do you move first to to stop it? The level of shock you would need to wake up this country would be amazing. Right. That's a, well, that, that's that's a good point. We do have to break. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll be back for another segment. Don't go away. I'm Bruce Dumont. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. We are back for our final segment of our broadcast this evening. Thanks very much for uh, for joining us. Uh, I want to uh, comment on uh, something that uh, has come in uh, from uh, our Facebook uh, post this evening. Uh, it is from a gentleman by the name of Jay Silverheels. Now, for those who remember the Lone Ranger, Jay Silverheels <laughs> was the actor who portrayed uh, Tonto. Um Jay Silverheels is a regular listener to this program and a regular participant and Facebook friend, uh, or I don't know whether he's a friend or not, but he's a constant critic of this uh, program. <laughs> and uh, he writes an interesting points. He said, I want to, let me get it here. Does Matt Gates ever come up? I'll trade five minutes of Hunter Biden conspiracy talk for five minutes of the Matt Gates problem. And then someone else says, well, Dumont's never going to bring, he's never going to bring that up because it's going to make a Republican look bad. Got him. Well, here I am. <laughs> We're bringing it up. Okay. So here, here's my question to you, uh, 
Mr. Silverheels, who's never going to be satisfied. And I, I kid him because he doesn't have the guts to use his real name like everybody else. <laughs> but anyway, he says it's, it's somebody that I might know. So, But he's very critical. But here's the question. Judith, uh, would you agree that uh, Matt Gates, if he were to resign tomorrow, it would be good for the Republican Party? If he were to resign tomorrow? Yeah, resign from the House. I don't think it would be good for the Republican Party. It might be good for Matt Gates. Who knows? I think I think Matt Gates was actually on the way to resigning from his seat because it's pretty clear to me that what he really wants to do is be a an opinion host on, on Fox News. Um I I uh yeah, I, I don't think that Matt Gates resigning from from his seat in Congress is is going to do anything for the how Republican do you, Party. How do you probably per- not do anything for Matt Gates? How do you personally, as as a woman, how do you look at the charges made against him and the charges made against Andrew Cuomo? <laughs> oh wow. Okay, well, that's interesting. Well, who do you believe and who do you not believe? Well, I'm not one of these people who believes all women, okay, because that's that's silly. You know Uh, too many of them. (laughs) Uh, So, first of all, um, Matt Gaetz, as far as I know, no woman has come forward. There's been an allegation that he took a 17-year-old across state lines on a trip and, and... he says that person doesn't even exist. So I, I don't I don't know what's going on there. Um, and I'm, it's way too early in that. To, there's no evidence of anything one way or the other except the stuff you're reading in the paper. As far as Andrew Cuomo is concerned, um, we have we have some stories about his behavior with women that are you know on the edge. You shouldn't talk to women that way. If a man in this day and age is talking to young women that way, he's crazy, okay? I don't know that he's necessarily a predator, but I think he's absolutely nuts. That's that's number one. We have a picture of him at somebody's wedding with his hand on the bare back of some woman that he just met. That's That's kind of not exactly staying within your boundaries. So, I mean, I think Andrew Cuomo has a very uh, exalted view of himself, so he thinks that he can get away with anything. What do you and, think? And wanna... he's going to try. He's going to try. He's going to do the Ralph Northam version of of uh, just stonewalling. That's Eric, what he's going to do. What's going to happen with uh, Matt Gates, and what should happen to him? Um, it. I, I agree with uh, Judith that I think it looked like he was. There was rumors that he was going to resign his seat to become a host on uh, OANN, oh. um, which is. Matt Gates is emblematic of all that is wrong with the United States Congress because Absolutely there's a I can't I think it was a Vanity Fair piece I may be remembering the the publication incorrectly, but he said that like you know it's important to get on television uh, because if you're not on television you're not making news you're not governing, that is not governing. Absolutely, and he is to me just like Jason Chaffetz, the former congressman from Utah who quit his seat in order to become a pundit on Fox News. The incentive structure is all wrong. So I, I think Matt Gates should resign from Congress, not for anything having to do with the allegations against him, but because he clearly has no interest in being a congressman. Right. He wants to be on TV, so go be on TV. Right. He's a lousy congressman. Dan basically. Rowan, uh, what's your take on uh, Matt Gates? I think Matt Gates is probably in a lot of legal trouble. And I think if the, you know, the Justice Department and the state folks are, are starting to really poke around and he's got his uh, buddy, the uh, ex-Seminole County tax assessor, who's singing like a canary, 
Uh, in yeah. due course, I think a lot of really bad stuff is going to come out. And the, the tax collector, the tax assessor is going to cut a deal. Uh, you know, instead of going to prison for 20 years, he'll do seven and a half in some, you know, you know, place with the tennis court. And uh, he'll he'll give Matt Gates up probably uh, with regards to Cuomo. Uh, yeah. To the point that was just made the, the days of, you know, the casual, you know, treating women inappropriately or touching them. This stuff is just it's it's unacceptable. It needs to stop. It's sick. It's it's predatory behavior. And I just I to, to the point that was just made, I don't understand how any guy can think that, you know, that talking dirty or doing the stuff that these guys are doing Allegedly. is somehow or another going to get them going to get them anywhere. I just I just don't get it. But I think Matt Gates is in a lot of legal trouble. And I think the bottom line is, is that the tax collector, the tax assessor singing and, and the target is really Gates. Ray Lopez, uh, what's your take? you got 15 seconds. I think we're going to say goodbye to Congressman Gates. He's, as everyone has said, he's useless other than just auditioning for a new part. (laughs) I think um, with Cuomo, you know, and for all politicians and as as one, you know, this is not the 1950s. You're not all playing a role in Mad Men. You're not smoking cigars, cracking women on the behind. Grow up. Here's some good advice for all all politicians. Don't be a scumbag. (laughs) Thank you. I was going to use a different bag, but I'll stick with the bag. (laughs) Our thanks to Eric Cohen, who's a host for hire, Chicago Alderman Rabin Lopez, Republican attorney Judith Sherwin, and Dan Rowan, who is with the Transport Topic Radio. Uh, That is on uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Our thanks to Connor McKnight. I'll be back next Sunday night at the same time from Evanston, Illinois. This is Bruce Dumont. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard, to do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. 
My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. 